Um, Corey, <clears throat> what day was Grayson born? The 20, 24th. So we have a new little boy in our church. His name is Grayson Hip, born to Corey and Shauna Hip. So give Lord thanks. That's always exciting how God works. And um, I guess we can call that uh, in, in the house uh, evangelism growth. So what we're doing tomorrow night's out of the house evangelism growth, but we just want to give God praise and thanks. I want to pray, and we're going to be looking at a spiritual gift toward uh, about leadership, and you'll have to hang with me as I go through this because you may be going, when is he going to get to the, to the part about leadership? But I think if you kind of know where I'm going, then you'll kind of see some of what I want to talk about this morning. But I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read um, Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses and the burning bush. And uh, see that as a, a great uh, chapter in the Bible that deals with leadership. So let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would um, grant us uh, hungry hearts, thirsty for you. We pray, oh God, that we know that there on any given Sunday there's going to be barriers in our minds and hearts. There's going to be things from this past week that bother us, things for this coming week that might make us a bit anxious as we have things we need to do and expectations, requirements, um, tasks to fulfill. And sometimes we don't know how we're going to do it all, so we, we know that we can sit here during the preaching of your word and find that our minds are drifting towards our busy lives and schedules. So I just pray right now, God, that you would free us from that mindset, that we wouldn't feel distracted, that we would actually just be able to know that whatever else is going on outside this room, you've got, you're in charge of it and you can control that and you actually want us to know that so that we can listen to your word. So I pray, God, that the effect of this morning is we would just settle our hearts and, and right now that our hearts would open completely to you. Would you speak to us through the power of the word of God and by the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit? And I pray, Father, too, if there's someone here today who just simply never really has understood your grace that you would make that plain to them today and they would see that you're calling them even in this sermon into a relationship with you. So we pray your blessing upon all that we talk about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read Exodus chapter 3. It should be familiar to most of you. It's, it's a great, great chapter in the Bible. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. 
And then the Lord said, I have surely seen this affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, they... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will go with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness and that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God." But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry For clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. So Moses was truly a great leader by any measurement. And the Bible has some of the world's greatest leaders, like Moses and David and Solomon, Peter, Joshua, Nehemiah are some of the most notable. And so it's not surprising that even non-Christians often study the Bible to learn what it says about leadership. And some people even study the life of Jesus to look for the leadership lessons and miss the much greater need of looking to Jesus to be their personal leader and Savior. No one questions the importance of leadership, but there are two kinds of leadership. There is a worldly leadership that strives to advance temporal goals, and there is a spiritual leadership leadership that strives to advance God's agenda. So you have a worldly kind of leadership and a spiritual kind of leadership. 
the difference between a great spiritual leader and all other leaders is not their ability. It's not their accomplishments. It's not the significance of the moment in which they lead. A great spiritual leader is great because God has chosen him or her for a task that is essential for the advancement of the kingdom of God and moves history towards the ultimate glory of Christ the King and his glorious return. So a great spiritual leader isn't necessarily someone with certain peculiar natural abilities. A great spiritual leader is someone who aligns and is called by God for a great spiritual result or a great spiritual cause or purpose. There's a spiritual reason why a spiritual leader has been given and empowered and called to be involved in something. So it's something much greater than themselves. Moses was chosen by God for a role that had eternal and God-exalting consequences. And David had such a role. Esther and Mordecai had such roles. In God's economy, spiritual leadership is when God prepares, summons, fills, equips, and empowers people who lead others to pool their resources into a razor-sharp focus to do to knock down obstacles and do the work of God. So a spiritual leader is called, equipped, empowered, and they have the ability to gather the resources that God provides and that are needed, and they are able to take a group of people and those resources and form or forge a laser-sharp focus to accomplish a God-honoring goal. There is such a thing as a spiritual gift of leadership. And in Romans 12, Paul challenges the Christians in Rome to discover and use their spiritual gifts. And leadership is one of the gifts he mentions. And he says, so to the one who leads with zeal. So in other words, to those of you who have the gift of leadership, put your gift to use. Not in a passive, hesitant, reluctant, low energy sort of way, but with zeal. So if you have gifts of leadership, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through, it's something that you need to pray and ask God um, where he wants you to use this and, and how and at what level. And it's the kind of thing that God will call you to. It's not something, oh, well, I want to lead that and I want to lead this and I want to lead that. It's surrendering to God and what he wants you to do and lead. And it may fluctuate and it may vary from time to time and place and place and dependent on also what God has going on in your life and what new things he has for you to attempt or to do for his glory. So the first thing I want us to look at is the preparation of Moses for his life calling. And that's Exodus 1 and 2. That's the two chapters before. What did God do to prepare Moses for leadership? And maybe you might be in a preparation stage in your life. And you might be, God might be doing something in your life, preparing you for something that he has for you to do in the future. And it might have some leadership component to it. And it could be 
It might seem to you that it's a small thing, leading something small, or it could be something medium-sized, or it could be something big. It could be something really big. And so I want to look at the preparation that God gave to Moses in his life and see if there might be something that fits with your life and where you're at and what God might be calling you to do and if God is calling you to some level of leadership in the kingdom of God. So God had his hand upon Moses from the very beginning of his life. And he was born in a time when the Israelite nation was suffering greatly in bondage in Egypt. And it seemed as if God had forgotten his promise to the descendants of Abraham. And the powerful Egyptians, as it says in Exodus 1, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. So Moses was born into this context. The Hebrews were slaves in Egypt with hard, oppressive labor. The Hebrew nation was growing so fast that the Pharaoh of Egypt commanded the midwives to begin slaughtering male babies. Male babies could grow up to be soldiers. Soldiers could revolt against Egyptian rule. So in those days, conquerors... If they saw a group growing up within their midst who they thought might threaten a revolt or a rebellion one day, then they would often do ruthless things. And the Pharaoh of Egypt had decreed to the midwives that they should kill all the male babies until he gets the population down. He was population control of males of this vastly growing Hebrew nation. So he was doing what in our day is done all the time, the killing of babies for selfish purposes and selfish reasons. And that was what was happening all the way back in Egypt. The things people will do to promote their own uh, desires and agenda is I think only the Bible really reveals to us the nature of the human soul and what men are capable of doing. And therefore, that was the context into which Moses was born. So the king demanded in the very act of delivery, on the birth stool, it says in Exodus 1.16, on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. A just born baby, you shall kill him. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So Moses was born into that dangerous and deadly moment of history, but God had plans for him. And upon birth, he was immediately hidden by his parents. His mothers nursed and nourished him into a healthy baby boy, and his mother did the most outrageous thing. She made a floating baby basket and placed him in the crocodile-infested Nile River and floated him into a bunch of bathing beauties from Egypt from Egyptian royalty. And the Bible says something that's astounding. How could anyone other than God create a scenario like this? It says in Exodus 2, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. In verse 5, And she spotted the most adorable baby and decided to take him home and raise her as a son. And verse 10 says she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So God took a Hebrew baby to be raised in Egyptian royalty 
to be educated with a world-class education. Now tell me if you can't see the hand of God. Let me slow down a second. Think about who Moses became. Think about the context of when he was born. Think about the chances of this happening. Consider for a moment that the babies the Pharaoh was trying to kill, he raised one in his own house who would deliver the very people that he wanted to keep oppressed. Think about this this irony and the twist of the hand of God in these events. Okay, so God chose a Hebrew baby to be raised in Egyptian royalty, to be educated with a world-class education, to walk and play in the halls, the greatest halls of power in the world, to see and likely be trained in Egyptian warfare, to personally know and observe the leaders and methods of leadership in the very seat of power where God would send him years later to those very same halls of power to carry out the greatest mission, rescue mission ever accomplished by a captive nation from the clutches of a world power in fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. That's mind-boggling. Then in a shocking turn of events, Moses suddenly discovered and loved his Jewish heritage and in a moment of anger he killed an Egyptian for mistreating Jewish slaves and this news traveled fast and Moses had to run for his life into the wilderness and for several years in the wilderness, now consider where he's been growing up in Egyptian royalty. I'm not sure that's going to prepare him to be a leader in the wilderness. But God places him. He even uses his own anger and the killing of an Egyptian to lead him for his next stage of training. This news traveled fast and Moses had to run for his life into the wilderness. And for several years in the wilderness, Moses, in continuation of his training to be the leader that God wanted him to be, Moses learned how to shepherd sheep. He married a Midianite woman. He had children and was educated in living the tent life of a nomad in the very land and terrain where God would bring him years later to lead and care for a million Jews for 40 years as they made their way to the promised land in fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. This is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Moses had no idea what God was preparing him to do. Maybe you have no idea right now what God is preparing you to do and you're going, why in the world am I out in this wilderness? I don't see the pieces coming together. I don't know what God is doing in my life. I don't even feel like He's around. I'm separated from everything that looks sane. And if I were to plan my life, this is the last place I would end up being. But here I am. Moses had no idea what God was preparing him to do. But nonetheless, God was preparing him to do something far greater than Moses could ever have imagined. Moses had no idea what role God had chosen for him. And Moses had no idea why his life had so many trials and twists and turns, starts and restarts, success to failure to success again. God had a good work for Moses to do. 
And it required much preparation to make him into the man who would lead the exodus of Israel from slavery to freedom. God knows what he's doing. And I want you to feel that in your life, that he knows what he's doing. You're saying, I don't know what's going on here. Well, God does know. There is no doubt that many of you, many of us, are often blind to the purposes and plans of God and how we or our story or our experience or our journey lines up with the purposes of God. And therefore, we're like waiting. We're in a waiting pattern. But as we wait sometimes, if you're in a waiting pattern right now, you may be in your role right now, but if you're not in your role right now or you're wondering or you're trying to figure out, then wait upon the Lord and set your heart upon Him and do the task given to you right now with all of your might. There's no doubt that as we wait, God is working. And that's why we take the promise of Romans 8, 28. We know that in those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. So how things work together for good is often unknown to us, but that they work together for good is known to us. How it works, we're not sure. That it works, we're confident. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's working, He's working, He's crafting, He's building, He's making, He's preparing. We are His workmanship handled by God. God is our handler. He knows exactly what to do to shape and form. He's our, he's our trainer, He's our coach, He's preparing us. Created, we are created, the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, meaning everything we're doing now is for something He's prepared that we should walk in them. So God has good works for us to do that advance His kingdom. And no one knows better than God how to prepare us for the good works He has assigned to us. So in summary, the most important thing in all of your life is that you love God and have aligned with His purposes. If this is true, then all your life's experiences, all the ups and downs, twists and turns, good and bad days, are part of His calling upon your life. It is all necessary and beneficial to the ultimate goal for your life to bring glory to God and to shine light upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, your Savior and King. It's all part of the big plan. God is at work. Okay, the second thing I want to talk about now is to look at the calling of Moses at the burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He was just working. He was just keeping sheep. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Well, what in the world was he doing with the priest of Midian? And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He ends up at this place called Mount Horeb. The mountain of God. He had no idea that it was the mountain of God. He had no idea what he was doing there. He couldn't see anything different in that mountain. Maybe it was bigger. Maybe it was smaller than some other mountain. It was just a mountain. It was just a mountain he saw. He had been out of that mountain many a day, many a time. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He's at this mountain doing what he normally does and something that never has happened before. Happens the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush is not burned? And the Lord saw, he turned aside and said, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. It was a daunting moment. What was Moses doing when God called him? He was working. He was doing what he did every day. He was carrying out the work given to him in a daily and a faithful way. He was being a father and a husband and a provider and a shepherd. His work was dignified and that is what he knew to do at that point in his life. He had no idea what God what God's plan was in all of this. So Moses, who had no previous experience with God that we know of, that even remotely compared to what he was now experiencing, he did not know all the ways in which the hand of God had been with him. He did not feel like an important player in God's big plan. In fact, he felt like a little nobody out in the middle of nowhere, totally separated from his adopted Egyptian family and totally cut off from his bloodline relatives and his Jewish roots. But into that, He happens upon a burning bush and a flaming angel of God. So I want to point out, first of all, that Moses immediately recognized that this was an encounter with God. He immediately recognized this is a big moment in my life. On the one hand, he was terrified and he hid his face, afraid to look at God, it says. On the other hand, he took off his sandals and bowed to God right then and right there. This was a life-altering moment. It is unclear what his relationship with God had been before this moment, but it became crystal clear in this moment. Maybe that's true for some of you. Maybe some of you are here and it's unclear where you're standing with God is right now. But maybe right now is a point and maybe today is a time when you feel, I need to change that. I don't need to be uncertain about my standing with God. I need a moment. I need to experience the presence and power of God in my life. I need to get serious right here, right now. i got to quit walking around like nothing's unholy, and I need to come and stand and meet before the holy, true, and living God. That is the kind of encounter that still occurs every day in the world today when people come into a contact with a living God. It might not be exactly like the circumstances of this, but it's just as real and just as true. And there are people who take off their sandals and they come and stand before a holy God. They don't skip around. They don't jump and jolly around. They say, I need an encounter with God. And they begin to seek God and they get down on their faces. They don't do it because their friends are doing it. They don't do it because it's a cool thing to do. They don't do it because they're 12 or 11 or 13. Or they don't do it because all the other kids are doing it or all the other people at the church have done it. They do it because they sense the power and presence of a living God is calling them out and calling them into a relationship and calling them and their lives to come and stand on holy ground before God. They're calling, being called of God to consecrate themselves to God. And I want to know if that's where you are. Is God telling you right here, right now, take your sandals off and get serious with me? Right here, right now, quit dilly-dallying around. Quit expecting me to do your bidding. Don't call on me to help you make good grades and pay your bills. Bow before me as the true and living God. It's a moment of clarity. Have you experienced this moment of clarity where you have come before the living God and all you can do is say, Lord, I come to the point you tell me. I go no closer, but I don't want to be any farther away. I want to be right here in this moment. And this could be such a moment. This could be a defining moment for some of you. I wonder if there's somewhere in this somewhere, someone in this room right here, right now today, that you have not had an experience with God where you ever humbled yourself before God and said, Lord God, I take off my shoes. I have no plans to go anywhere until you lead me and guide me. And you enter into my life. What a moment that would be today. Just an ordinary, average Sunday. 
and your life changes forever. It was just an ordinary, average day for Moses. Just an ordinary day doing what he did until God came. Have you had such an encounter with God? It doesn't require a burning bush or a flaming angel to have an encounter with God. It takes a bowed heart. It takes the recognition of a holy God speaking to your heart and you recognize a holy moment and make a holy surrender before Him. You cannot possibly hope to enter into the plans of God nor have a role in the business of God if you cannot take off your personal ambition and bow before God and embrace His plan for your life. Moses was doing far more than taking his shoes off. He was taking his past off, laying everything before God to hear him speak and to receive his proper role in his life. He was bowing his will to the will of God. Second thing to observe is that God shares with Moses what he is about to do and invites him into the middle of it. God shares with Moses what he's about to do and just invites him right into the middle of it. Exodus 3, 7, The Lord, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians. God say, this is what I'm doing. I see what's going on, and I'm getting ready to come down and engage. And then he says in verse 10, I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I will bring you to be a deliverer. I will call you to deliver people. I will bring you into the rescue mission, into my rescue mission. Here's what I'm doing, and I'm calling you into it. All Moses could say, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, Lord? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. And then he says, shut your mouth. That's really what he's saying. Shut your mouth. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. He says, I will be with you. Lord, who am I? I will be with you. And you sit there and you say, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. And you say, but I'm a nobody. And God says, I will be with you. And you say, Lord, I can't do what you're calling me to do. And he says, of course you can't. I will be with you. God has been watching everything that's taken place in Egypt. That's what he said. He never forgets his promises. And he has promised uh, that he promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden that he would provide salvation for sinners through a future son of Eve. And the son would come through the line of Abraham who would be the father of nations. So the people of Abraham were in Egypt to become a nation. They went to Egypt as a family of 70. And now it was time to leave Egypt as a nation of well over a million. It was time. God's time clock. If we stay in line with God's time clock, then we get to be part of wonderful things. They went to Egypt and they, as 70 and came out as a million. It was time to take the Hebrew nation to the promised land. It was time to rescue them from slavery. It was time to set the people free. And Moses was God's chosen instrument to lead them out of Egypt. Moses was to embrace God's rule for his life as a deliverer and a prophet. And it had to be shocking to discover that your role is not at all what you had in mind for your life. Maybe you think, well, I went here. I went to college to do this. I moved here to do this. I got married here to do this. I chose this. I chose this. What a shocking thing to figure out what you had in your mind and plans for your life wasn't what God had in plans for your life. But what a wonderful thing to discover that God's plan is way better than what you had planned. It was a time that God was working. 
The situation was urgent. He says, and now, he says, and now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. It's loud. It's a loud cry. It's time. I hear it. I can take it no more. I'm ready to engage. Behold, the cry of the people has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Israelites oppressed them. So God heard every cry, felt every heartache, watched every beating that they took. I know their sufferings, he said. So the role prepared for Moses was daunting and puzzling and terrifying. And verse 10 says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so Moses did not feel he could accomplish this assignment given to him. He was a nobody, a desert dweller, a shepherd. He had been run for his life to leave Egypt. There were people there who still wanted him dead. How could this possibly be? Perhaps the Lord was confused. There had to be a better candidate. So many questions and so many objections, just like we do. Lord, no. I can't do this. You've asked of me something I cannot do. I'm not the one. Send someone else. The empowerment and certainty for success of the mission was simple and must totally be clear to God's chosen leader. Here it is. Here it is. Do not miss it. Here this is. But I will be with you. Whatever objection you have to following God and laying down and taking your sandals off and giving God all your past and all your present and placing to His good hands the future, here is the greatest promise that you will ever have and here is everything packed into this little phrase is everything you will ever need. I will be with you. The only possibility of success for Moses when God said, I will be with you, God was saying, I am the key. I, me, God. Success would not be because of the me of Moses, but the I of God. Not I, E-Y-E, but I. Just the letter I, the capital letter I, the ninth letter of the alphabet. I, the one who is speaking. The one who is speaking is the one who is sending, is the one who is going. God doesn't say, Moses, you can do this. Go get them. God says, I will do this. He says, you cannot do this. I will do this. I will use you. Moses doesn't get a pep talk from God or a pregame speech, but a guarantee. This is my mission and I will accomplish it. And you need to do the part I'm assigning you. That's all you need to do. Do your part, your assigned role, do your job, and I will make this happen. And God's promise is that you will come back to this very spot with a million Jews to worship me. Unfathomable to Moses' mind. He could never imagine a whole bunch of people being there. He's there with his one little family and his two little kids. And he's imagining, God's telling him, I'm going to bring a million people back here. So the lesson, Moses is told, I will be with you and I will give you this sign. And the lesson is this. You cannot accomplish anything of lasting value apart from God. You and all your resources, no matter who you are and how many resources you have, cannot fulfill God's mission without God on your own. Every time you place me in front of God's eye, you will fail. Is the eye of God directing your life? Your business, your money, your dating life, your parenting. Who directs your plans, your schedule, your future? Is it me? Is it the me of you? Or is it the eye of God? You need to get me out of there. God can do all he has called you to do. God can cause your life, uh, can use your life for eternal purposes. God can place you, God can place you 
in the center of His will. God can give you success that will have benefits beyond this life, but you must die to me and surrender to the I of God. A third observation is that God gives Moses a name that will be recognized and revered by all. Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What is his name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. God says to Moses, say to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this is my name forever, and thus I am remembered through all generations. Gather the elders of Israel and tell them, The God of their fathers has sent me. I've observed what you've been going through. I will bring you out of the affliction. And they will listen to your voice. Moses learned that day about the I of God. But he also learned about the I am of God. God told Moses that I will be with you. And then he said, I am will be with you. Moses was basically saying, Lord, what if they don't recognize me or acknowledge my mission? What if they say, but by what authority do you do these things? And God says that tell them I am is here. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them my name. My name is I am. And this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. God is eternal. I am means he is, he was, he is to come. He is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. God is always in the present mode. He always exists. Before the world existed, God was. In the fu- into the future, God is. Right now, God is. God is the ever-present one. He is now and forever. Amen. Then God gave Moses a first assignment. Verse 16, he says, go and gather the elders and tell them what God has, that God has been watching and God has been listening. He sent me to tell you he knows everything that has been going on. And now is the time you've all been waiting for. Now is the time for him to keep his promise and lead you out of Egypt to the promised land. Now is the day of salvation. And on top of all this, God made a promise to Moses about his assignment. He said, they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us now. Please, let us go into the wilderness to worship the Lord. So God informed Moses of the difficulty of the assignment. Success will depend upon the mighty hand of God and the working of wonders and miracles. God also can make this happen, but can, God can make this happen all alone as well. Watch God work. Do not lose faith that God will save the day. And then he said, I know that verse 20, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so God is the mighty hand. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with wonders. And finally, great will be the reward. The greatest rewards will be eternal, but God also provides many temporal rewards and delights along the way. He said, I will give the people favor in the sight of Egyptians when you go. They shall not go empty. You shall plunder the Egyptians. They would leave with silver and gold. A great reward is true is in the afterlife, but many great rewards are in the present life. The greatest reward of all is to be delivered from slavery and bondage of our sins, and a follow-up reward is to be equipped and supplied for your earthly journey. God will supply all the provisions needed to get you to the promised land, but here first He will set you free from bondage. So I just want to close by wrapping this up as it relates to spiritual leadership. 
God called Moses to be a spiritual leader. He took him through every possible scenario that was needed to make him the leader to carry out his God-appointed assignment. Moses' assignment was huge. And it required years of preparation. His training never stopped. The lessons he needed to learn were all in God's training program. He received many lessons in preparation before he had ever had any idea of what his assignment would be. And some of you may be saying, I don't know what my assignment is. And I want to tell you that everything you've been through is part of God's preparation for what you're to do. Everything. The bad stuff, the hard stuff, the fun stuff, where you grew up, what you went through in middle school, everything. Everything is part of how God has designed to prepare you for a calling if you will accept the role that he has given to you. Moses' assignment was huge and it required years of preparation. His training never stopped. The lessons he needed to learn were all in God's training program. He received many lessons in preparation before he ever had any idea what God's assignment would be. And he had many lessons after he became a leader as his training and discipleship never stopped. So the key to all that he ever did and accomplished was the eye of God at work in his life. He longed to live a God-centered life. God first and me second became the foundation of his life, and that never changed. Even when he made mistakes, personal and leadership mistakes, he recentered around the eye of God. God was with him, veering away from that always created disaster for himself and others, getting back to living in the eye of God was a lifelong commitment. Another key to his life and leadership was the joyful recognition and promotion of a God who is I am. The one true God and is, is, was his only goal. His goal was to know God and make him known. And he loved the name of God, the many names of God. He sang the names of God. He told the names of God. He proclaimed the names of God. He defended and hallowed the name of God. He lifted up the name of God. He fought for the name of God. And he stood against false gods and t- labored tirelessly against idolatry and satanic efforts to deface and blaspheme the name of God. He cherished and loved the name of God because he cherished and loved God. God, whose name is I am. A spiritual leader is one who is called to lead some spiritual enterprise for God. A spiritual leader is one who is called to lead some spiritual enterprise for God. Someone who is called by God to make his name known by leading and organizing others to make known the name of Jesus. Someone who has an assignment of God to lead some endeavor that has eternity in view. If it is a big kingdom assignment involving lots of people and lots of resources, then there will be more training from God in the process. If it is a smaller assignment, then there will be the exact training from God for that assignment. Pride and self-promotion will be the biggest obstacles and cause the most problems. When pride encroaches upon leadership and when self-promotion encroaches upon leadership, there will be trouble. Many people will strive for leadership to promote the me of self and not the I of God. So what leadership might some of you be praying about and open to? Who of you are in leadership to promote the me of self, 
God will not bless that, but He will bless the eye of God. And so I just want you to think about what role you have in our church. You might say, I don't have a leadership role. Then maybe you're in your role. Maybe you're like going, well, that's not my my gifting. I don't want to be the leader. I like to serve. That's totally fine. Right now, today, I've primarily given you the look into the life of a man who was called of God and to see what it was that was in his heart that made him an effective leader. And if you're a leader in our church, then I want you to think about, are you leading for the me of self or the I of God? And if you're not a Christian today, then I want to invite you to place your faith in the greatest leader that ever walked the history of the world and who you will spend the rest of your life studying his leadership and love. And there will be no one that will ever compare to the leadership of Jesus Christ. No one ever fought for you like Jesus. No one ever prepared for you. No one ever uh, gave everything for you. No one ever laid their life down for you like this man did, this one Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you today, and if you think that God has given you some role of leadership in our church or maybe he's preparing you for something, then I would ask you today, take your sandals off and get before God and just simply say, Lord, not my will but yours be done. Your name be promoted, not my name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's why we exist. That's why we're a church. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? All right. Father, thank you for this day. We just pray, oh God, that we would see examples, Moses, Nehemiah, Paul, what it looked like for people who took their role and surrendered their lives to you. And Father, in our church, we have a lot of leaders. We have people that lead different ministries, life groups, children's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, men's studies, elders, deacons. We have a lot of people, oh God, who are in leadership roles. Help us to work according to the eye of God and not the me of self. Help us, oh God, that we would promote the good, the wonderful, the blessed name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Help us to promote. And I pray, Father, that you would help people who are excited, enthusiastic, and zealous to be part of an eternal enterprise to serve the kingdom of God. I pray for those people, God, that they would, all of us who are in leadership positions right now, right here today, as we sing this closing song, that we would be...